0: very good we're gonna begin (laughs) hello 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 and welcome to business without bullshit i am andy orion alongside me is my fabulous co-host pippa sturt Hi Andy. (laughs) And today we are joined by the illustrious David Bentall. David is a founder of Next Step Advisors, a consultancy service to business families helping them overcome the challenges that come with the management transitions and ownership succession for over 22 years. David is also an award-winning author and public speaker, very good. David, welcome to the podcast. Lovely to meet you. Great.
1: Good to be with you. And you know, 22 years, I've been advising families for 22 years. But the prior 20 years, I worked in our family company. So some people say I've spent four decades thinking about this family business thing. We
0: obviously share some uh, pains being in a family business myself, and and was the family business you worked in was that the Bentle's department store? Or that was a different Bental. No, no, no,
1: my grandpa came here and, and bought a construction company, and so we had a real estate development and construction business here. And actually, over seventy-five years, uh, operated in in Canada, voted one of the hundred best companies to work for in Canada, and uh, got sold a number of years ago. But we can get to that later.
2: But you effectively had twenty years of hands-on experience. In a family
0: company.
1: Uh, that's right. My last job for seven years, I was president and CEO of our construction business. And how many people in the family were in the business? You, your dad. Yeah, grandpa before me, and then my dad, and one of his brothers, and then I was the only member. There's eleven of us, uh, third generations, and I, third generation, I was the only one working in the business. And, and how did you find it working with your dad? Working with my dad was fabulous. Ah. Oh. Working with my uncle, not so much.
0: With your uncle, not so much. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay, that was the yin and the yang.
1: Okay, very interesting. Were they very different characters or? Yeah. I mean, some people talk about brothers working in business. If if one's the inside guy and one's the outside guy, that often works really well. My dad was the outside guy. He was comfortable meeting people. He was the primary rainmaker for the company. My uncle was more of a planner and more of an administrator. And so the That worked well for 40 years, but it eventually blew up in everybody's face and I I was singed by the fire. There's something about siblings when they fall
0: out, isn't it? It's, it's not, yeah. um, I mean, I know this. I work, I, I. to be honest, I've worked with all, all three of my siblings and uh, I, I still more or less do. And, you know, I think the funny thing is with siblings, and my da- dad was wise enough to observe this uh, from, from you know, advising other people in his own working with his brother and in the family businesses is a bit like you say inside and outside. Everyone needs their own space. What siblings yes, are not yes. good at is you will never take instruction from your sibling over something because you grew up to your life. If there's one motherfucker in the world who can't tell me what to do, it's my sibling. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and Pippa has a particularly interesting uh, perspective being an identical twin. But... Yeah,
2: but we normally, I mean, me and my sister tend to think the same thing about
0: this. Oh, yeah.
1: And it, would, you, would you agree with that point, David, that it's about space in a business? I think that really helps. I think each having your own sphere is fantastic. But I think it's not just about that. I I think it's also about baggage, right? Like if you got to sleep on the top bunk and I always had to sleep on the bottom bunk, but uh, You know, there's there's years of baggage that intensifies the disagreements, yeah? Or you got the better bike or whatever, right? I've
0: never worked out which bunk is better anyway, but yeah. <laughs> the, but the top bunk's the best, the top yeah. bunk. Yeah. yeah,
2: okay. I got the top bunk. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also that thing of you have like sort of really ingrained kind of tracks that you run along that are formed by years and years of how you've behaved as children. And then you all grow up into adults and when you get together you fall back into those Yeah, the patterns. You stop behaving exactly the same way.
0: I remember we had, uh, they'll remain nameless, but a family business when I first started working in the family firm uh, that we, we acted for as accountants. And there were two brothers who absolutely hated each other and used them for the most confusing job because one of them was a bit more organized and on it. And he'd ring you up Monday morning and say, oh, hi, Andrew, I'm X. You know, I want you. This is what we need to do with the accounts. and This is what we're going to do. And about a day and a half later, just as you were getting to the end of what he'd asked you to do, you get the call from the other brother saying, listen, whatever my said said, we're not doing that. And you need to da 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 and da-da-da. And you just, you you end up in these very strange that you're the tennis ball going between these two people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And you're like, I, I, I'll do whatever you tell me, but just come to a plan. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And that was a small family business You've obviously spent your life sort of advising and, uh, uh, and, and getting involved in this. So what, what do you think are the sort of core things that a family business needs to, needs to consider, I guess, in, in regards to if they're going to work
1: together?
2: Andy's taking notes, by the way. Yeah, very I'm, taking, I'm, taking,
1: I'm taking notes. Fair, fair enough. So there's a lot of things that are key, but one of the things that's important is to get a shared vision. Like, what are you doing this for? Where are you going? And if I go back to my dad and his brother, they work together really very, very well for four decades. Then you the adventure- up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now, now. <laughs> Some people want to blame me. But you know what? Uh, and that, that, I was a problem because my dad wanted me to lead the company. Yeah. And my uncle didn't. So that was a problem. Uh, but that really came down to one element of the vision. My, the vision for the future was my dad wanted us to remain a family-run company. My uncle wanted us to be not run by the family. You know, my, my uncle wanted to go public uh, and cash in his chips. My dad wanted to keep the business in the family. My uncle wanted to do just real estate. My dad wanted to do real estate and construction like we'd done for 75 years. So they, they had completely different visions. So I, one of the challenges in a family is if you if you don't agree on where to go and what you're trying to do, then you've got people pulling in different directions, Yeah. So I think that's one of the things, that working with families, I try and help them agree on where are we headed? Are we going uh, are we going in the same direction or not? And frankly, families don't belong together if they're trying to do different
0: things. But let's say they don't. So let's say exactly that. I mean, that's a great example. You've come in the business. Dad is always going to be like nepotism, keep it in the family. If he didn't have a kid, he might be like, yeah, fuck it. Let's go public and cash our chips in. You can't fix that. You know that's the tricky thing, isn't it? In family, it's like it's really hard to. And who's the top dog in that who's situation? The top dog? As a yeah. sibling, it's really hard to sit down with my other sibling and say, "I will persuade you
1: my well, and here, way." And here's uh, just to interject: You're you're totally right, but it can be fixed. Look, like, there's an interesting thing. Like I've had I've had 25 years to reflect on how it went wrong. Uh, mm. You know what my uncles ended up doing with everything? They took the company public, sold the business, and what did they do with the money? They gave it all to charity. Wow. So if we'd had the help of someone who could facilitate a conversation, my dad's desire was to keep the business in the family. We could have easily bought out their shares and enabled them to give the money to charity and carried on the family. So there was an easy solution, but they just didn't talk. So that comes to one of the other things that try and help families do is help them communicate what they, not just their vision, but help them to communicate honestly and openly. If, if we had known all my uncles wanted to do was give the money to charity, we could have accommodated that.
0: So there was a sort of, there was a period they're working well together, you come in, there's a sort of start to being a different, but then they didn't sit down and talk about it and say, look, we're a successful business, you want to cash your chips in. I want to keep it in the family. I mean, I'm very altruistic giving it all to charity in the end anyway. It's almost like it's almost like the whole thing was against you, David. <laughs> <It was slowly> <laughs>
1: again. <laughs> I will do
0: anything to stop that man taking hold of the company and I'm going to prove it by giving it all the way to charity in the end anyway, which seems a really, I mean, that's lovely for society.
1: but Not it seems so
2: great like, for the kids. It yeah, seems a really thrilled. strange
1: ending to the story, isn't it? You know, as it were. You know, you talk about do everything we can to make sure David doesn't get it. I actually was, in order for my sisters and my brother to be able to obtain some funds from the public offering of the shares, I was required to sign a lifetime contract that I would never buy shares in the company. Oh, wow. 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 And, I, you know, I, I, we talked to our legal advisor, and he said, I said, have you ever seen anything like this? He said, I've never seen anything more than two years or five that years. That feels
2: very personal, very directed at you.
1: Yeah, it, yeah.
0: But that's where we get down to family, though, isn't it? We get down to family that you... It's, it's like it's like we're tribal. It's like I, I always remember this fascinating thing about gorillas in the mist and there's this attitude that only humans are nasty to each other. And actually what they don't tell you about gorillas in the mist is after that lady left and all the gorillas were living in harmony, one of the young males buggered off and then attacked the tribe and killed it. And the, the truth is when you're in our tribe, we will do anything to protect our tribe. But when you're outside our tribe, we'll murder you. We don't give a crap. And family has that element that it's a bit like the opposite of love isn't uh, hate. The opposite of love is indifference. And, and Love and hate are these sort of relationships that you've been best friends and brothers and worked together for forty years, and then there's
1: this trigger and this fallout, and it's nasty. It's vindictive. It can bring out the worst. But you know what's interesting is, now I think part of that uh, in families is it's the, I talked about the baggage. It, it's, it, we, it's built up over decades and layers, right? And so yeah. it is a bigger thing when it, it, it is a bigger thing when it blows up. So it's taken me years to make peace. What? but I mean, it was it was tough.
0: But what what did you think they did wrong? They didn't sit down and talk. If you if you had a time machine, you go back and you would demand that your brother and father sit and talk for longer. I mean, all the money went to charity.
1: Maybe that's good. Yeah. Well, one 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 of my earlier books I wrote about twenty five things I wish we had done differently. And one would get a shared vision. One would be talk. One of the other things that would have been helpful. You know, my dad sat at the time on seven different public company boards. The board of one of the biggest banks in the country. That. Scott Paper and a number of different uh, operations in Canada. But my brother, my dad and his brothers didn't have a board with independent members. So there was no objectivity. Um. I mean, maybe, maybe it was a good idea to to go and, and just focus on real estate. Maybe it was a good idea to stay doing real estate and construction. Rather than that being a discussion with, at a board of directors, it became an argument between two brothers who were trying to take control. So I think one of the things I do is help families to involve in their discussions the the idea of having let's have independent professionals on the board of directors to help uh, mediate to help clarify to help strategize so there's a lot of things we could have done there's two or three shared vision better communication and a board would have helped right
2: and i you know i think that i don't think that's just really good advice for families although it clearly is really good advice for family-run businesses, but it's also really good advice for a lot of of businesses where you have more than one founder.
0: Yeah. Because that
2: relationship quite often is so close that it ends up almost being like family. It feels like the
0: trio is a bit better than a duo, isn't it?
2: Yeah, but trios, I've seen my share of trios where two gang up on one. True. And it's a freaking disaster.
1: Well, the other thing I I did not mention, one of my other 25 things, we had no method for resolving conflict. Everybody knows that there's going to be disagreement. Everybody knows that we're going to not agree on everything. But how, But most families, according to a KPMG study done years ago, 76%, I don't know why it wasn't 75%, but 76% of families in business don't have a conflict resolution mechanism. In other words, if we're disagreeing, they don't have a, an appeal court or an exit clause or a conflict, you know, they don't have a Buy, sell agreement. They don't have a way of resolving conflict. Uh, That's unwise. Like you know, we have airbags in our cars, not because we're planning to get in an accident, right? Family companies, you know, we're going to have accidents. We're going to disagree. Families that are wise put in place plans for what happens when it goes awry. I've learned another really
0: interesting thing in our family business, and now you know. Oh, I have to be careful. I say this because I'll get emotional. But you know, traditionally, there were four of us at the table and twelve partners. and we 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 don't vote, nothing like that. we everything has to be unanimous. But um, it does tend to you know may, and maybe it's the whole male testosterone. you know the, the the men men tend to throw their weight around a bit more. but if if we go into the meeting as a family, as a group, and we're all very good friends and we try and discuss something we haven't discussed before, Most of the time, me and my dad just end up trying to tear each other apart, traditionally, especially (laughs) when I was a young man. And amusingly, if we talk before the meeting... Me and him actually think very similar, but we'll come at it at different angles. And like, I find ideas are very possessive. So he'll have this way that he's thinking about, and I'll have this way. But actually, almost always, like, if we just get a chance to fucking be bulls together and just get out the mail, like, blah, 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 we always end like, if we go for a walk, we, you know, we're much more one-to-one. So we, we've we learned as a family, have a weekly family meeting, which is just, just us because we need to get we get what's the worst thing that happens in that room is if we're in a group discussion and the family's not united and we haven't resolved where we sit on something because we really fucking like really start like going at each other or like it's just like it's not good so we've learned while we need it's very important all our partners and we act as a true partnership and I'm very proud of all the partners I work with and we don't want to be dominant we want to be a team it's kind of really important that as a family we've walked in the room that we've all kind of, what do we think is a family, okay? And now we put it forward and then everyone throws it around and the nuance
1: comes out. I don't know if that's something you've experienced or believe as well. Well, I think it's really helpful to have a pre-meeting with members of the family. As I advise families in business, I encourage families to, to meet regularly and be able to get stuff on the table. One of my mentors said, you know, a, a little bit of planning saves a lot of time in the fixing. Yeah. So, it sounds like you and your dad are just doing a little planning ahead of time before you get together with your other partners and talk. Okay, what's important for us as a family? Let's Let's both be right, basically,
0: isn't that? Some of it is sort of ego and possessive ideas. Let's both be right
1: when we've gone in the meeting,
0: you know?
2: And I think that, you know, you were saying it earlier, David, you're absolutely right about the kind of layers of history that gets built up. So, you can be talking about some very specific point But between you and, you know, your dad, for example, Andy, it's not ever going to be just about that very specific point because there's always that shared history of things that maybe you've argued about in the past or you disagreed about. And, you know, you might, from a kind of independent third party, let's say, you might take a piece of advice fine, but you're not going to take it from your dad.
0: You're spot on. We're actually quite similar, but we come from massively different generations. I mean, that's one of the main differences, the generational mindset. You know, he's 1943, I'm 1978 birth. I mean, there's a fucking difference of how we think, you know. These are great sort of suggestions. I mean, a lot of them can be applied, I think, to all business. I I think family businesses just have it in a slightly more intense way because you can't fall out with your family the, 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 the fall is much more painful I mean you fall out with a person in business I mean who gives a fuck there's a lot, sorry excuse my French there's a lot of people in London you know what I mean I yeah know, yeah. This- you know, whatever and I think there's an attitude in business normally it's like we fell out in business and it, it ain't personal I mean I disagree a lot of the time when people go oh, this is business it's not personal that I can screw you but I do agree with it when you're saying look it doesn't mean that we can't have a cup of tea
1: together and have a laugh you know what I mean? You know, there's one thing we haven't talked about, and that is uh, you're talking a little bit about you and your dad. One of the things that fr- I find frustrating is that many members of the next generation are so keen to join the family company and take over they use the words take over from dad or mom, right, that uh, they underinvest in their own career development. and and uh, one of the one of the smartest things that I was ever told to do is get the heck out of there for a while. And so I went to to Toronto. And uh, which is you know, three hours flight from where I grew up and where our family business was operating, went to the to, to Toronto and worked for one of the largest real estate development companies in Canada. And nobody knew my last name. My dad didn't mean anything to anybody. My grandpa didn't mean. Anything. And most family business successors that I meet are so keen to put their mark on the family enterprise that they're reluctant to go and get experience elsewhere. And the wisest ones that I meet are the ones that go and are willing to take on an apprenticeship mentality, I call yeah. it, and where they're willing to learn, uh, not at daddy or mommy's knee or not in their shadow, but in the real world where they're not protected by mommy or daddy. Uh, and uh, so one of the things that uh, I find very challenging is to, to nudge members of the next generation to get out in the real world and, and discover what, what they're really made of. So that's one thing that I we hadn't talked about earlier, I think can really help families in business.
0: I think mostly family businesses suffer from an inability to get their kids excited about joining the family business because it's probably, you know, doing something that sounds terribly dull. And what you don't appreciate when you're 18, 19, and you think, oh, I'm going to be famous or whatever the hell you're thinking, you know, is you don't appreciate having, like you said, A, a business that values you as a person, but provides you an income and took generations to build, it's going to be something you value a shitload when you hit 40 and you've got a couple of kids around your neck.
1: Well, and it also depends on what your parents are doing. You know, I'm really glad my mom and dad weren't in the funeral business. I'm not sure I I would have wanted to do that. (laughs) Or in the sewage
0: business, perhaps, which is probably not very glamorous, but well-paid. Who knows, you know? What do you do on a day-to-day? You're sort of permanently trying to really help, you know, complex family business. People ring you up as like a Mr.
1: Fix-It kind of thing, is it? Or... Well, I, I would love to think I was able to fix it, but I'm not, right? Families need to fix themselves, right? I? I, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a, not a marriage therapist. But you know, when you think about it, I've been to I've been my wife and I married forty six years, and we wouldn't have got there without the support and help of the three or four different counselors that that we went to. I think what fa- what I try and do with families is not to fix it for them, but to work with them, to help them to to fix stuff themselves, Hey? And so whether that involves helping them recruit boards with independent members, whether that involves, like you do, helping them have regular family meetings, whether that's, as we talked earlier, helping them to get conflict resolution mechanisms. So try and help them to manage the issues that can divide them.
2: Is it therapy a bit for you as well, David, to kind of give them the benefit of your experience of what was clearly quite a scarring episode in your own business life?
1: Well, it's it's actually quite funny. I don't do it in order to get therapy, but it's interesting. One of my uh, mates asked me to speak for... He's with a bank. He asked me to speak to some of his clients, so I did this presentation for 50 or 100 people. Uh, well, and he liked it, so he had me do it three, four more times. And he kept coming to watch me speak to his client. And, and I said, haven't you heard my story enough times? You've heard it two, three, four times. And he said... I'm enjoying watching you because every time you tell your story, it seems to me like you are being healed. And so I think it was—I think it has been cathartic. You know, I've written two books about my experience, and I've spent you know two over two decades helping other families. I think it has been cathartic. I hope that I'm doing more than just giving therapy. I hope I'm actually helping.
2: Yeah, no, but it's good if everybody gets something
1: out of it. What I'm hoping I'm doing is helping them learn from our mistakes. They try and warn them to not do what we did.
2: And what's your kind of long term goal for what you're doing now? Is the consultancy kind of the main thing that you do, or are you going to do more speaking?
1: Yeah, well, I, I love speaking. That's why you know I, I, I've written a couple of books because I love to comu- I love to communicate. But I, you know, I think you know, what's my long term goal? My long term goal is to help family business owners to harness all that's good about families in business and help them avoid the common pitfalls. You know. Someone said, you, you, should, you should keep family and business separate. It doesn't work. You should have them separate. And I'm going, why is that? Well, because they said it always blows up. And I'm going, well, you know, in, in North America anyway, you know, 50% of marriages blow up. Does that mean we shouldn't get married ever? You know, it requires, you know, dating regularly. It requires communicating. It requires forgiveness for a marriage to work It's in a family enterprise. So I'm trying to help families avoid the the pitfalls, PIPA, and to, to, to harness what's good. Yeah, and
0: I I think family business had, honestly, I started, I joined my family business in 2000. And back then when I joined it, being in a family business was quite frowned upon in the UK. I remember my dad walking me around the building to meet people and they were like, fuck.
2: Well, you were probably about twelve, Andy. Well,
0: well, I was twenty-one, but you know, I was like they, you know, and it was like people were like, you know, back then it was all about corporates and brands and family businesses with these nepotism privilege thing, and oh, no one would go to the pub with me or whatever. Now it's sort of like family businesses are back. Now it's like
1: no, being in a family business is you know a positive thing. Well, and Andy, you, you're an accountant. What would you guess? Do you think family companies? Perform better financially or non-family company? What's your guess? I'm gonna
0: guess family do perform well because there's a there's a there's a real power to when the, it's most. Then most of the time they work well, and the trust and ability. You know, if my sister says to me, "I'm not cool with this person," that's it. You know, you say anything else,
1: I might disagree, but I'm like, all right. You're absolutely right, Andy. Around around the world, studies have been done, oh, many many different locations, many different times all different countries, uh, family companies tend to outperform, financially outperform non-family companies across the board. So, you know, take a tire company that's family controlled and compete with a a, a tire company that's not family controlled. The tire company that's family controlled tend to do better. Interesting. Uh, Some Canadians did an interesting research project on why it is. uh, And, uh, you know, one reason families do outperform is because they invest in the long term, right? They're investing for their kids and their grandkids, right? right. So they're not, they're not just looking for quarterly earnings. They're thinking about the long term. Another reason is families tend, they tend to do a better job of, of uniting the tribe, getting the culture is more unified in a family company. And I remember when I was teaching at the university, I had half of my students in my undergrad and MBA classes came from the HR faculty they wanted to learn. And I said, why are you taking family business studies? And they said, we want to bring familiness into non-family companies because they wow. recognize that familiness helps knit the company together and make, create more loyalty, more productivity, more efficiency. So there's, there's a lot I could go on, but there's lots of reasons family companies tend to do better.
2: What would you say your biggest kind of mistake has been? What's your biggest failure?
1: I told you that I was very glad that I went to work outside the family company, Mm -hmm. to work at at this large publicly traded real estate company. The biggest mistake that I made in my career was to not stay away until I was invited back. Right. I, I worked for a couple of years, learned a lot, had a wonderful experience, and then I came back to the family company. And I should have known something was awry, because when I came back, my dad said, why don't we have lunch with David and have him share with the executives and the senior management team what he's learned in his two years working with this sterling company that had an extraordinary reputation. Nobody wanted to hear what I'd learned for Ooh, two years. no one wanted to go to lunch. No, nobody wanted to hear anything about it. And you know, one of the more successful family enterprises in Canada, run by a fellow by the name of Paul Demaret Jr. and his brother, Andre. And I asked him, I said, what is your goal for your kids and your grandkids? And he said, our goal is to have our kids go as far away as they possibly can and be so successful that we'll beg them to come back. And I wish that I had gone away until they begged me to come back rather than coming back when I wasn't wanted. So that was my biggest mistake. And I ended up being caught in the crossfire and everything blew up between my dad and his brother. It's brothers,
0: quite negative. So. I mean, you've come back why don't we take him out for lunch and get a bit of information? I think they were threatened. They were threatened by they that. Were threatened they were threatened. By that. And you weren't a big enough cheese yet. It wasn't like, yeah. oh, blimey, it's David Bentle, you know? No, no.
2: And, and you know, you've said that family businesses are more successful on the whole than non-family businesses. Yeah. What do you yep. think the kind of biggest problem facing family businesses is?
1: I think one of the biggest problems is this idea that they resist learning. Mm. Uh, and and what, do I, what do I mean by that? If you think about it, family companies all around the world, we were talking about how many there are, you would think there'd be this huge demand for learning about, because the field of family enterprise has been studied by brilliant uh, scholars and academics and consultants for the last 40, 50 years. There's, we now know what works and what doesn't. And so you'd think there'd be a huge demand for learning and education. There's almost no demand. What I think the problem is, is that families who are in business fall into one of two categories. They're either getting along or they're not getting along. Mm. If they're getting along, they see no need to learn or do anything. And if they're not getting along, they don't want to talk about it. And so there's this huge need for families in business to grow and learn, to get educated, to learn what's best practice, and, and there's almost no express demand.
2: Yeah, but I suppose it is that thing as well of, you know, we've done this, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know, this is a family business. We've done it this way for the last X number of years. And there's quite a kind of ingrained antipathy to change.
1: Yeah, well, in family enterprises, there can be that intergenerational struggle, right? The elder generation, this is the way we've done it forever. And that works so they're not as open to new ideas from the kids. So that can be a problem. What's interesting is it's it's choosing which things to preserve and which not, right? Which comes back to the board of directors. I can imagine having a board with independent members sitting down and the dad said, you know, we, we haven't had a website in 50 years, we don't need a website now, mm. and the board of directors might be able to say, well, actually, your kids are right, actually. In, yeah. the, in today's world, we actually need to be able to have a presence on the internet if we're going to continue to grow, right? Well, that's
0: a power of family business again, that the, the, the young guy comes along, you know, as I annoyed my dad. and And, and most of the time, for years, he was right. And then slowly, I started to be right. You know what I mean about some stuff. And I'm I making, you know, we're very close. I'm making it sound very, cool. you know, but we have had our, we have had our amusing moments. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, my problem though, I think your advice is fantastic. Go out, get experience, but get to a point that they they want you back. But why are you going to yeah. come back? That's the bit that I well, struggle you don't, with.
1: You, you don't have to. You don't have to. I remember no, giving a lecture business, one day. I, don't, and I, I
0: want you to come back.
1: I, I'm like, oh my God, we've lost him. Like, you know, he's the world championship skier, you know. I remember giving a, a lecture one day and I, and I talked about this and this one gal put up her hand and said, what happens if my son goes away and he works somewhere else and he finds something that he's passionate about yeah. and he becomes really successful and he's earning lots of money and he's doing something he loves and he never wants to come back? And I said... That'd be wonderful. She said, no, that'd be tragic. And I said... Bring on the tragedy. Yeah,
0: yep. yeah, you make a good point. And then that's a good point too, that you're always there with open arms to be like, not open arms, yeah. but the door's open. It's like, look, you always have a job here. Leave you the light know, on. You know yeah, that. You've always got a job here. On. There's no like burning bridges. I had like, like, I wanted to be a rapper. I still want to be a rapper. So like, I was trying to think, what happens if my kid grows up and says, I want to be a rapper? My dad's deal was kind of like, well, you're going to be the family business, but maybe I'll help you a
1: little bit with your music, but you can't really do that. My cousin decided he wanted to be a recording artist, so he became a rock musician. His father phoned my dad and said, this was 45 years ago, his dad phoned my dad and said, my son wants to borrow 10 grand because he wants to become a rocker. Uh, What do I do with that? And my dad said, loan him the money, he'll get it out of his system in six months. Forty-five years later, he's still performing, right? He's still performing. I would, I would. The music one, I came up with an answer for my son, which would be: I
0: would say to him, "I'm going to fully support you. I'm going to give you two grand a month or whatever you need to pay your bills and do your thing. But you got two years, and in two years, you've got to be getting somewhere. Like you've got to have made moves. Like you, you, you know, we got because two years isn't. It will seem a long time to him. It is also enough time to make some kind of dent." Like getting somewhere because in music it's a bit vicious like that. You're either going, and then because because the trouble with the dual choice is if you make them do both,
1: you can't really do either. No, you got to focus. You got to focus. And and Barney and my cousin, he he made a career out of it, and uh, he's been he's been very fortunate. yeah.
2: I think you in family businesses probably I would imagine also get the thing which you get in non-family businesses as well for example you know when I qualified as a lawyer I stayed at a law firm for a couple of years and then I left yes and went elsewhere and after about 6 or 7 years somebody from that law firm phoned me up and said we have a position going vacant do you want to come, come back yep right so exactly that was great they asked me back brilliant but I went back and and the last time I'd been there I'd been as a trainee with other people being my bosses and now they were my you know they were not my bosses anymore they were my contemporaries they were my fellow partners and it was quite hard I mean it was quite hard for me but I think it was also really hard for them not to treat me like their junior and I think for fathers and sons or parents and children, there is that like, you will always see your child as your child, however old they are.
1: Pippa, you're so right. You know, I, I remember I was in a in a board meeting, my sisters and I bought the construction, family construction business together. My sisters are 10 and 15 years older than me. And at one of the board meetings, uh, you know, I had become president of the business and the chairman of the board uh, brought to the to the board the idea that I had applied for and was going to go to the Harvard Business School and take something called the Owner Presidents Program, which is like a mini MBA. And this was back in 1990. So it was uh, a long time ago now. But at that time, that program was $30,000. I don't know what it is today, but certainly a lot more than that. My sister said, there's no way my we're going to pay $30,000 for my pimp squeak baby brother to go to Boston for some boondoggle. And the chairman of the board just turned to Helen, like, "What are you so concerned about?" She said, "I changed David's diapers when he was little. I'm yeah. not paying for this." And he said, "What has diapers got? What has diapers got to do with anything?" right? Uh, so, but it was she. She had trouble seeing me as an adult, president of the company who might warrant going off to Harvard. Well, I think you might be interested in what what Dick Myers, our chairman, did because it was brilliant we were talking earlier about the value that boards can bring, independent board members can bring in a family. So he said, let's not argue about it here. Let's, we'll table the conversation. No need to decide. So at lunch, I I overheard him talking with my sister in the corner. And he said, now I understand you don't want to pay $30,000 for a boondoggle for your baby brother. She said, I'm folded arms. There's absolutely no way I'm paying for it. And he said, can I just talk to you about it just for a second? And she said, you can talk all you like, but he's not going to Boston to Harvard. he said, let me just talk to you about it. So he said, Helen, the program, I, I know you think about it as $30,000, but it's actually a three-year program. It's really, a better way of thinking about it, it's a $10,000 investment every year for three years. So let's just talk about the $10,000. And you're Helen, you're a 20% owner. So it's actually, we're not asking for $10,000 from you. We're just asking for $2,000 for you. You're a 20% owner. And and so, and so that $2,000, the company's going to pay for it. So it's actually a tax-deductible expense as part of the education. So it's actually $1,000. I'd like you to think about this. We're inviting you to invest $1,000 in your brother for the next three years, so that he can look after the millions of dollars that you've got invested in the company. Doing that's a good investment," she said. Why didn't you put it that way in the first place? Of course he can go. Yeah. So obviously. So but but isn't that lovely? The independent voice of objectivity. He was able to heal
0: well, so that one-to-one people group behavior is so yeah. different. You know, one-to-one, we we seek agreement with each other. There's something about humans and a one-to-one, we we we, we want to come together. Yeah. And in a group, That's not how we get, it's just so complicated in a group. And, you know, it's this real problem about decision-making. So we break off a lot. We've got 12 partners. You can't make fucking decisions for 12 partners. So every time it gets, if it's not just like bang, 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 we all think the same, which lots of stuff is, if it's like, uh, it's like, okay, who are the three people who are going to go think about this and come back to us with their opinion, which sometimes doesn't work. But I have a different question. We talked a lot about the family and me and the poor family and this poor family. What's it like for everyone else though? I mean, that concerns us a lot as a family. We, we go out of our way to say, there ain't no fucking glass ceiling here. We want you at the table if you're cool. You know, there's 12 of us at the table. There's only three family members these days, you know. What, what,
1: are, you, what are you supposed to do about the other? Because other people always feel like, yeah, but I'm never in a hurry. Uh, but Andy, here's, here's the thing. I'm working with a family right now, and there are three members of the next generation who are all working in the family company. And surprise, surprise, I was helping them recruit independent members for their board and in the in the process of the interviews one of the uh, the candidates for the board said what are your the three of them what are your expectations for the future do you want to run the company and they all answered with brilliant perspective they all said we want the best person for the job to run the company mm. and we used to th- we used to think as young men and women uh, that we would like to lead the company and maybe one day we will But what we really want is someone who's best to lead the company. And and the wisest families that I know are looking for good leadership rather than a, a track for the family to run the company regardless of whether they are capable.
2: What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given, David?
1: My dad said to me, and I think he was quoting Shakespeare, he said, if a man steals from you your good name... He steals from you something which is of no value to him and something which you will never be able to repurchase. Wow, let me think this one through.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's effectively
1: protect your integrity is the message, isn't it? You got it. You got it.
2: And and what about the worst piece
1: of advice? I was working in our family firm, and we had a senior, senior advisor who came in when things started to fall apart between my dad and my uncle. And this man walked in and he interviewed all of our senior executive, and I was not a senior executive, but he interviewed me because I was part of, a, of the company at the time. And he said to me several things. He said, this company is 75 years old. And I said, I know that. And he said, this company needs change. And I said, I know that. And he said, you are, and I'll use language, he said, you are, you are a defecation disturber. You're running, you're running around the company, throwing mud everywhere. And he said this company needs change, don't ever stop. That was the worst advice I ever had because he was he was correct that the company was 75 years old and needed change and that I was running around and I an, an insubordinate, iconic class trying to tear everything down. The problem was is that I was a young kid who owned 8% of the company, son of the chairman of the board, and what I needed to hear from him was shut up, Stop complaining. And you know what I wish he'd said to me? Learn to follow before you expect to lead. Great advice. Yeah. 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 I could see how that's wrong. And I
0: learned, I definitely learned that. I'd even know a lot of the time I was arguing with my dad that he was right. And my brain would be saying, he's right. It's young bull, old bull. You want to contest. You co- it's very um, uh, physiological. It's, it's like physiological. You have, you have yeah, to yeah. challenge it. And I'd be like, Rawr. And I just, ma- I just made an arse of myself year after year after year until I, until I respected him. And I was like, no, I better better like, calm this down. And
2: now you never make an arse of yourself. I never yourself. make an
0: arse of myself. <laughs> <laughs> and now a quick word from our sponsor. Business Without Bullshit is brought to you by Ori Clark. Straight-talking financial and legal advice since 1935. You can find us at oriclark.com. In your industry, which is really now as an advisor, I guess,
1: what do you think is bullshit? I think that companies, family industries, uh, family-owned companies, I think they don't give enough back to their communities. Wow. Family companies are as we talked about, financially, very successful around the world. And rather than investing strongly and in giving back to their communities, I think the family members are overindulgent in paying their themselves. And uh, we've got starving people around the world, people in the communities. And a friend of ours just came back from Denmark, and she said that they were talking to some of the folks there. And part of their cultural ethos in Denmark is that they believe, quote, few should be ultra-wealthy, and even fewer should be ultra-poor. And I think they're heading in the right direction. And I think family companies should be in the vanguard because we, we don't have to pay money to our public shareholders. I think family companies should be in the vanguard of not overpaying their executives. I and, mean, of course, we need to compete for talent. So we should be generous. But I think we should, be, we should be leading in making a difference by giving back to the community. I think that's very well said. And we have a real problem in this
0: country about not, you know, actually, there's a debate going on at the partners at the moment because you know we're a successful company and we're, um, you know, I'm trying to, we're trying to develop some principle because I'm like, we need, we give to charity, but it's like we need some principles. How much a year? What are we doing? You know, well, and
1: lots of lots of companies are giving one to two percent. Yeah, it's fuck all, that, that's, isn't it? That, it's, that's exactly right.
2: If it helps, the Bible says it should be ten percent. Is it ten percent?
1: Oh, well, that's that's, that's what
2: clear, a tithe is. Up.
0: I mean, that's a lot. It's a lot when you are when you have good years and bad years and we're trying to... Because part of the family business, you're long-term, so part of it is we try and be prudent and be strong because one of the things my dad believes and he gets frustrated these days that people want free lunches and bicycles, you know, there's just all this bullshit. And he's like... They need to appreciate they work for a business that didn't have one layoff during COVID, that we're financially strong, and we give them a very safe, secure place to work, that we're not going to be taken over by private equity. And, and he comes from a generation where people who, who, who appreciated their jobs, you know? So there's that element too.
1: Well, I was just going to say, just so I, I go back to my grandpa, you know, yes, giving away, you know, my, my grandpa was guided by the 10%. He gave away 10% or more every year.
2: My brother in law does, always, yeah, to the church.
1: It's a really that's a really 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 nice
0: point, um, but uh, I don't think many businesses do it, and it's uh,
1: it's a they, hard. They don't. Job. That's that's why I do think you know, it's you know, BS. the next I think bit.
0: Why is the next bit why? Okay, we're gonna give away ten percent. Sounds good, right? To who? And then you start as accountants looking at these charities that are badly run. I mean, I mean it's a fucking Don't let the perfect be Fall the me. enemy Fall of me. the you, good. You, 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 you've got something, have you? you know, well, but it, well, no, I don't not, know, you, we could joke not, about it, some... but it's a
1: real problem. Order. Order. The honourable gentleman has got to learn the art of patience. But, like, just there there are charities that are doing good work. You know, when I was a little kid, I remember Dr Ben Gallison said... He said, I'm going to give my life to go to India and to do cataract surgery. And he said, and I remember as a 12-year-old kid, he said, if you can give me $20, I can give someone their sight back. Yeah. And I'm going, sight is priceless. So so I've been, you know, as a 12-year-old, I gave 20 bucks to Dr. Ben and he gave someone the gift of sight. There are charities that are doing wonderful things. Yeah yeah. And, uh, so if anyone's struggling to find one, let me know. I happy happy to point them in the direction of a few.
0: Oh, the David Bentel Society.
2: <laughs> 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 okay, David, so welcome to the 10 second quick fire round. This is where we're going to ask you a list of questions to get to know you a little better, and you've got about 10 seconds to answer each question. Okay, D de- cue the music. And are you ready, David?
1: I'm ready. What was your first job? Painting the fence. My mum and dad had a big piece of property and I, my job was with a wire brush and acid, actually uh, scrape the fence and then we'd stain the fence. It was a tough job, kind of like Tom Sawyer. It was a tough one. Me and one of my buddies did it together.
0: It'll be in your mind forever. Worst family business job I've ever had, that sounds like. What was your worst job, David?
1: Summer job working in the accounts payable department. Tedious and I, oh, just, it was just forever. I just, oh. It was, Two cups of coffee before I got to to uh, coffee break. It was terrible. That's when you really enjoy a long visit to the toilet, isn't it? It's like <laughs> how yes.
0: much can I maximise? You've gone to the toilet twelve times today. Oh, I have problems, you know. Anyway, I,
1: I took I took juggling balls in and taught the accountants how to juggle juggle the books. Really, <laughs> I love it. Favorite subject is school. Phys Ed. Anything, that, anything I can do. Just let me let me go play play soccer or football or something.
2: What's your special skill?
1: That's interesting. Mr. Myers was chairman of the board uh, when I was president of the company. And, and every year, twice a year, he would sit down with me and he'd talk to the 11 vice presidents who were working for me and ask them, what has David done wrong lately? And he'd dump all the garbage on the table. But be- he began every meeting for 10 years and said to me, David, you are the best verbal and written communicator I've ever met. Keep up the good work and then and then he talked about all the stuff I was doing wrong. <laughs> all the stuff oh, was those doing are good wrong.
0: skills. Those are good skills and I I would agree. What what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: I wanted to be a fireman. Uh, so does my son. So does everybody, but you know what's interesting? Well, you know what's great about that. I, when I was a kid, my mom and dad were buying a new car in 1965. They would look for a Pontiac a Parisienne, and I cried and cried and cried until they got the red one because I wanted to have our own fire truck. Wow! But you know, but you know, somebody says I'm actually living my dream because what I'm doing now is helping putting out fires, putting out fires for families. So. Yeah. Fair well, enough. What
2: did your parents want you to be when you grew up?
1: President of the company. Dad walked into the into the den when I was grade five and said, son, turn off the television, do your homework. And I said, dad, I'm watching Casper the Friendly Ghost. And he said, David, turn off the television. You can't be president of the company unless you do your homework. Wow. What's your go-to karaoke song? Well, my mom was an award-winning soloist, but somehow I can't carry a tune, so it ain't ever gonna happen.
2: (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Office Dogs. Business or bullshit?
1: I love dogs, but they don't belong in the office. Correct.
2: I think the answer is bullshit. Correct.
1: Unless you don't <laughs> Have you ever been fired? Twice. Both from our family company.
2: <laughs> that was harsh.
1: My uncle sent one of his henchmen in to fire me, with uh, and I was uh, invited to a meeting with my two sisters and my brother. And uh, my uncle's henchman said to my sisters and my brother we have decided your brother no longer has a job here. Right,
2: that's with extreme prejudice.
1: But I got fired again. I ended up running the construction company and uh, my brother-in-law ended up buying the business. So he invited me over one Saturday morning and gave me a paid holiday for a year. So I, this family business thing can be tough. I got fired both from our family company to the real estate comp side and the construction side. And I still think I actually didn't do such a bad job, but I got thrown out twice. So
2: what is your vice, David?
1: My guilty pleasure is I'm not a chocolate but a, a tiny square of chocolate every night after dinner.
2: So that, oh. I don't know that that's really can be counted as a vice, I'll be honest with you. But yeah. don't we well, no, I will, you know. He's, 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 one he's square of chocolate, suffering. an entire chocolate bar,
0: yeah. like a big slab, that'd be different. Any recommendations of something to read, watch, listen to? Any
1: top tips? Yeah, can I give you one of each? Yep. Yeah to read uh, a book called 1,000 Gifts by Anne Boskamp. She's a Canadian gal, uh, married, uh, a farmer's wife. 1,000 Gifts it was on Oprah Winfrey's uh, bestseller list, a fantastic read. When I read Anne Boscamp's book, "A 1,000 Gifts, I got tears in my ears because she, de- she described the pain she went through in her life as a young girl, uh, not personally, but what happened to her sister. A- and... Um, one of her friends, she was mad at God for 30 years, and she, and a friend of hers wrote her and said, I dare you to list a thousand things that you're thankful for. And so she went on a journey. She wrote about her journey. Wow. So that, that book changed my life. So that's one. And then a book to watch, or sorry, something to watch. I recommend the film Unbroken. It's, it's been out for many years now, but Louis Zamperini, former Olympian, and uh, you know, his in the war, he... His plane went down and he went 40 days without food and water. The book's actually better than the film, but you ask for something to read and watch. So I'd recommend people watch Unbroken. And then something to listen to, I'd recommend the audiobook called Against All Hope, written by Armando Valadares. And Armando Valadares was spent uh, 24 years in prison uh, in uh, Castros, Cuba. And he wrote about the torture and the pain that he went through. There's a bit of a theme there, David. You know, they're all very well, heavy struggles, you know. Well, well, and and the reason that they all come together is they were, tr- they were a perfect troika for me, a perfect trifecta for me. I read, listened, and watched those books in one year, and it changed my life because... I could spend the rest of my life complaining about the fact that I got fired by our family company twice. But those three, Anne Boskamp, Louis Demperini, and Armando Valadares helped me to learn to be grateful. Yeah, damn right. Changed my life, those three. So thanks for asking. Is there anything you, you want to tell tell the audience at all? You know, plug your business? Yeah, c- a couple of things. Real, so I'm passionate about helping families in business to not get them run into the mess we had. So I've written two books about it. So if the, if anybody who's listening would like to know more, have them go on to nexthepadvisors.ca, CA for Canada, nextstepadvisors.ca, send me a note and I'm happy to send audiobooks or hardcover books if people want. One of my books is called Leaving a Legacy, which is about the 25 things we did wrong as a family and how to not do that. And then my most recent book is called Dear Younger Me, looking back the nine ways that I, the nine ways that I screwed up, the fact that I lacked emotional intelligence and how I needed to learn to cultivate patience and humility and critical thinking skills. So happy to send those resources along if people are interested.
0: Fantastic. It's hard to teach experience, isn't it? Uh, and the knowledge of the knowledge of uh, wisdom, you know. The, the, the well, do you, do you know?
1: Do you know where experience comes from? And do you know what it, I was talking to our kids asked our grandkids asked the other day, Grandpa, what's wisdom? And I said, Wisdom is knowing how to make good decisions. And they said, How do you learn how to make good decisions by making bad decisions? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So true. Yeah, yeah. So there you have it. This was this week's episode of Business Without BS. (laughs) And we'll be back with our, uh, thank you, D, thank you, Pippa, thank you, David, thank you, Romeo, somewhere on the floor. Uh, And we'll be back with our quiz, business or bullshit. Until then, it's ciao.